0: This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. No credit card required. Enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout to get 10% off Squarespace.
1: Hello. Hi, John. Oh, hi, Merlin. How's it going? You're good. You sound really enthused. Mm oh mm. not so enthused
0: oh no this is a highlight of my week oh yeah i know just uh you know, yeah. you, know you know how it is yeah sometimes a week will oh just... boy sometimes the 16 months
1: right <laughs> doesn't it just doesn't it just unfold like uh like one of those um... mm, like an origami life <laughs> Yeah, like an advent calendar where every uh door is just a just a fuck you. <laughs> it's a different doors. kind
0: different kind of animal poop. Happy holidays. <laughs> oh, can we open up the seventh? Ah,
1: it's Paul Williams with a big middle finger. <laughs> Boing.
0: Uh yeah, so uh, you, you sound good.
1: How about that election? Huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, ding, 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 ding. Uh, God. yeah, things,
2: <laughs> things are, uh, things are fine over
0: here, uh, up here.
1: yeah. Yeah, it's been raining a lot. I'm also
0: on, um, I'm on call this week for, uh,
1: <laughs> oh, no. jury duty in a no. superior court case. Oh, no. what is? Why does that happen to you? I I'm, haven't been called for jury duty in 24 years. I am jury crack.
0: I never don't get called. I don't and, understand it. I mean, I'm no, I'm not good at calculating time and stuff, but like, it feels like as as soon as I'm eligible, it, it comes up, and I usually get called. I'd say about the last one, how I dodged a bullet on the last one. Yeah, I think so, but re- remind me. Oh, it's quick. I mean, basically, it was really weird because I'd made it through to like Thursday, and if you make it past Wednesday, it's usually like, ah, they're good. They're not going to need me. Right. And then I called the robot and said, you're a dirty group. Well will appear at Superior Court, 1 p.m. Thursday. And it's like, what? Who gets called at 1
1: p.m. on a Thursday? Why, why, why does your uh, robocall sound like James Urbaniak? <laughs> I like that guy. I, I met him. Uh, yeah, yeah, you did meet him. I think That's somebody right. took our photo together. Yeah, you met him in a hotel lobby. I met lobby. him in
0: a hotel lobby.
1: No the hotel deal. didn't
0: have televisions. There mm. were no televisions. Oh, my that. God. I was so fucking mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> I took a photo and sent it to my daughter. I was like, this is where the TV would be if this was a normal hotel room. It was like a Gitmo cell. You, yeah, had, you sure. had a nice one. They put you up in the Rain Man suite, but I, I was down with the proles.
1: Yeah, I, we had a nice one. No TV in my room either. Instead, there was just like there was a soap carving kit. And uh, like five curated vinyl albums, pictures of bird houses uh-huh. ours had, mine
0: it had a bed, which is an okay bed in the middle of this room it was It was a small room, but I mean, it was really funny. It was like they were were worried I was gonna harm myself. There were two <laughs> little tables and two little lamps, and a closet no no, no, I'm sorry, there wasn't a closet. there was a shelf uh-huh. it was like it was like some kind of like i don't know it's what I imagine like
1: if you went to like the nice juvenile detention unit. <laughs> 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 you remember that was the hotel. I still, I still kicked myself. I opened the door and there, the room had been cleaned and was in, in perfect order, except there was a walkie talkie lying in the, Oh, that's in the right. The room. And I was like, It's the beginning of an adventure. It's a call to adventure. There's no question about it. (laughs) Yeah. But I picked it up and, you know, looked at it and, you know, turned it on. Nothing, nothing on that channel. And I took it down on the front desk.
0: I think I told the story, but basically we showed up and the the very short version is that uh, a, a bailiff you know it looks mm. which basically it's it's like a it's like a parks department guy he he walks in <laughs> a guy in a uniform and goes all right this will now serve as the jury assembly room it's like what it was like 230 there was like 150 to 250 people in this room and i was like oh my god he goes this so this was the bit you know there's the room you go and sit in while you wait to get called and then you yeah. go usually to like a, a court room to be you know voidered or whatever or, all right. the stuff they do. In this case, the entire room is like this. Will now serve as the jury assembly room for group, you know, two oh seven or whatever. And uh, and a judge came in and said, basically, you know, the bad, the the uh, what was it? The bad news is we're not going to need any of you today or whatever. The good news is like this is a multi month. <laughs> case that you would have been on and it's like I I am so torn because I really believe in doing my duty for that it's like you know if you want me for a week I can grossly inconvenience my family Mm -hmm. I can basically not make money for a Mm -hmm. week Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll You know, that's OK. That's that's part of what you got to do. Mm-hmm. But that it puts so much pressure on my wife. You know, I take mm-hmm. care of my daughter in the afternoon. That's my job. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the way the life is structured. And I know that's fancy, but that's the dad I need to be. And holidays coming up and everything. And it's just like, ugh, I can't imagine spending Election Day
1: sitting in a Superior Court jury room. Mm. I, I, I do not find that that is fancy, though. You don't need to apologize for it being fancy. Yeah. It's just uh, – it's, it's it's you. It's your alternative lifestyle.
0: Well, have you ever gone to jury duty and tried to make the case that you shouldn't be on?
1: Let, well, let me, let me you're, just you're say – You're saying you just don't get called. Merlin, I am the one – probably the one person in the wor- – maybe – I'm not the one person in the world, but I am in the very small minority of people that waits like on bated breath to be called for jury duty. That's it so happened strange one time in my life when I was 23 years old and I was sitting in the jury selection room and everyone else is just looking like, you know, somebody just handed them a garbage bag full of water without a twist tie. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> God, oh. And I am sitting in that chair literally bouncing on my hands put me in coach oh i'm ready to oh play oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm gonna be on a jury oh my god oh my god i was a murder case oh, i hope it's the last for six months because not only was i thrilled to be part of the democratic process or the you know jury of your your peers that's like a 13 a day <laughs> 13 dollars a day and being on a jury for six months would have solved so many of my life problems
0: oh it would give you so much focus Well, that and also like, you'd have to have clothes ready. You'd have to think about where
1: you need to be in the morning. Well, maybe they'd put me up in a hotel because they had to sequester us. Oh, sequester John. Right. Because somebody like some mafia thing or whatever, like a hitman, And, uh, that would have solved the problem of not having a place to live at that point. Yes. yes. And, uh, and anytime, you know, anytime like a girl was like, why haven't I seen you? I'd be like, sorry, I'm in jury duty. Like I I can't, I can't, I can't talk about it. Yeah, exactly right. I'd been out of every problem. It would have just solved everything. And so I'm bouncing up and down on the chair and then, and and, you know, I'm watching the attorneys try and vet people and I'm like, oh man, I've got a great answer for that question. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me. Like I, I, I wanted to raise my hand. When they were asking other, you know, like, have you oh, ever it's like
0: the Hunger Games? You're ready to serve yourself up as tribute. Let me go. Let all these other yeah. people go home. I'll I'm go, happy to do it.
1: I'll go on behalf of that little child. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then they were like, OK, we got our jury. And it's, I, it's all good, Prim. I'll go. I was so <laughs> defeated. I was like, that's it. Do you remember Unless, why? Was it just that they didn't need your they body? They never got to They never got to, never got to you. It never got to me. They just made a jury, and and I was like, "Well, well, well, you guys gotta need another jury, right? Like we're all here. Why don't you just make a jury out of us for the next thing?" Oh, it's a good idea. And uh, and they was just like, "Go home." Mm-hmm. And so then, for a long time, I waited for the envelope to come. Like, gotta get it again, right? It's like this this amazing lottery. It's not, even,
0: it's not even like the draft
1: like it's one thing to say gosh i'
0: I hope I'm one a and I hope I get drafted. well, you know what you can always just go join right. in this case, you can't
1: just go show up at the courthouse and say i'm 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 ready to serve right, yeah, I would have done it a hundred times it's like giving blood yeah and and uh what's crazy is I'm a four out of four voter like the i they know where my address is yeah. like i'm i am I couldn't be more of a citizen and yet. Somehow, my bell never gets wrong. That's a shame, John. Yeah. and they're calling you every third day, and it just it feels like it just feels a little bit like an injustice. Can you imagine me on a jury? I, I mean
0: I, I actually I really I, I, I can. it calls to mind so many things. I see you I see you very quickly by unanimous acclaim being made
1: the foreman, maybe even before they're done seating people. They just go clearly,
0: this this is the anchorman. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I don't understand in uh, when I see like court cases on TV, which you do a lot. It's a very popular uh, thing to have on TV. Yeah. Which in its own way is like weird that a major, a major feature of what we consider entertaining television is just like watching a, watching a court case. Um, yeah, it mean, <clears throat> is really kind of a strange idea. Like right, eleven percent of all television shows are just watching the the antics of people in a courtroom. And I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? It's like, it's it's an intellectual. It's, it's, it's kind of a genre. It's totally a genre. But what I don't understand watching a jury on TV is they just sit there impassively. Like, how boring? Or or I mean, are you are you severely restricted? Do they do, every morning do they say now remember, don't raise your hand. Don't say but 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 right and don't don't audibly roll your eyes right don't like try and do a better job than the lawyers don't say please (laughs) like how do you not do those things I know I I know I I had a
0: jury buddy last time I was on for a a four day trial and uh, I had a buddy and we would just give each other the look because you know of course well Uh you can't get into this I don't I don't I don't want to cause trouble for myself but there's all kinds of things you're not supposed to do that everybody does because this is in that case, whatever, 2014. I mean, <laughs> you got a phone and stuff, you know. Yeah, not about. Well, so, don't do any of your own research, and it's like Pff, Pff, yeah. right. <laughs> Give me a a break. The first thing you do is Google the guy, right? (laughs) Google map of where the accident (laughs) happened. Like the whole nine. Like, I don't know. The visibility there is a little strange. I think I was going pretty fast. And I wouldn't do that. But uh, yeah, my buddy and me, we just, we would give each other looks through the whole thing. But no, you get, you know, general admonitions about these kinds of things. And, you know, the thing is, there's a part of it that is really, um, there's several parts of it that are absolutely Amazing. I mean, the the folks who are involved in this, the bailiffs and all of the the court, there's like a there's like a guy who's like or a gal who's like the manager of the courtroom. You've got the judge who's frequently a dingus. And then you've got the person who, like, manages the jury stuff and who is – I forget what do you call it, the court re- – not the court reporter. But it's the person no. who, like, basically manages everything that's happening in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And that person is amazing to watch. As as a As a retired project manager, I can just say watching somebody like that operate is amazing. Cause are they is, in a uniform or are they an admin? No, no. It's, it's usually somebody in, like, you know, kind of like a business casual kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they're coordinating with all the lawyers. They're talking to the judge. They're dealing with the jury. They are your conduit for dealing – if anything comes up, like if, you know – That's who you talk to. You have
1: to go to the bathroom. What if you have to go to the bathroom? You got to wait. What? Yeah. If they're in the middle of something and you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, you just have to sit there? You are No,
0: you have no anything. Um, they tell oh. you. And they, the thing is, they are very, uh, at least the ones I've been on, they are very considered about saying, like, you know, we're going to try and make this as easy and comfortable as possible. But, you know, the process is the process. Sometimes there's delays. Some things get changed. You know, sometimes some days you're going to go home a little early. Some days you're going to stay a little bit late. And, you know, that's just this is just the nature of how this works. But right. it is, you know how it is. It's always amazing to watch anybody who's good at their job. And somebody who does the same thing over and over every day and clearly has been through the ringer of all different kinds of experiences. It's amazing to watch somebody like well, that. Well, that's
1: why I love watching the live feed of your podcast. The, oh, thank you. The video podcast.
0: Though. And they've, the thing is, they've heard it all, is the other thing. So, you know, you go and you might have your protestations about this or that. And, but, like, you know, the judge and the uh, courtroom manager person are very good at going, like, cutting straight to the issue of like you know so i mean basically anything you come up with like as an ex- it's one thing to say like okay like i have i have chemo and here's my mm. notarized statement from a doctor And it's oh, nothing right. to go like well i have mixed feelings about the civil war and they're like okay so you're telling me you cannot make an on you know and they make yeah, you right. look like such an idiot it's like well my daughter is at school and it's like really yeah like you know well, like
1: but- can you eat chips in the jury box?
0: I'm not supposed to eat chips you're not supposed to even pretend that you have a phone um, I had a really good spot near a
1: charger so I could I could oh. stay charged the whole time oh, Wait a minute you can keep your phone in the jury box. yeah but you're not supposed to use it at all. Uh, even to just sit and play solitaire you know it's it, it's helpful for me to when i'm listening to somebody talk to be also playing minesweeper
0: oh for me yeah like walking like i would much prefer to be pacing while the whole thing is going they should have like a like a like a big panther cage you could walk around and I, I would process the information a lot better
1: that <laughs> probably like, wouldn't uh, be
0: distracting that 12,
1: 12 yeah like a, 12 one people of those just uh, pacing while <laughs> the court case is going on one of those one of those things that they use at the Hague when they're, they're like keeping a Russian like, cage. Uh, Milosevic in a, in a like, sure, a, you get like a, like a Nuremberg pen.
0: That's a good idea. I should bring that up when I yeah. go in tomorrow on election day for <laughs> superior court jury duty. I Are thought, you, yeah.
1: oh my God. Well, you know, Tom, I, I, oh. I,
0: I emailed you. I sent you, I included you in a BCC blast email last week to say I to all that. of my podcast buddies, it's that time again. It's basically like my municipal period has come. It's time for me to go and see Aunt Flo at the courthouse like I always have to do. It's the jolliest time of the year, oh, so, and so uh but then I you know I think I texted you and said, "Hey, you know, I called in on Friday, and I was okay for today, but uh yeah, yeah, it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. I mean I, it's not that I don't want to do it, and I don't mean to be precious it i I'm, i I want to do it. I just don't want to do it for like months, yeah. It's very – I mean I, I don't want to be a dick about it, but like that is – it's incredibly disruptive. Now well, least the so fact that, <clears> is <throat> I live in the western part of town. It takes me like almost an hour to get in and almost an hour to get home. And then my wife, who has a big lady job, is going to have to like do all this extra heavy lifting during that time. And it's like – I. but I feel the selfishness
1: in what I'm saying. But at the same time, it's like, ah. And Here's what I don't understand, right? The only people that end up on jury duties are old people and – uh, people that don't have anything else going on because right? everybody else the, tries to opt out. That's
0: the stereotype. But in practice, that is not true at all.
1: Oh, very cool. Very cool.
0: Well, and I'm like, I have a theory about this. John, John Syracuse thinks it's because people can tell that I'm impressionable, which is probably true also. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the thing is, I've gone in there and like the the first time that I was on a case that went through to a jury verdict. It was like the longest day of my life. Because he got in, I got called for two different jury things, got pulled away. And then finally, by like lunchtime, we were seated for a trial that was that one day. And so, oh, I but we were there until like almost 10 o'clock to the end of this. And it was one of the most Kafka-esque, frustrating days of my life. Ever, did I ever tell you this story? Where basically, it was a, it was a pretty clear cut, long story short, a guy who was a real dick, who was a high school student, went and picked a fight with a fellow student before school.
1: Mm-hmm. He picked a but fight- But they're with, in high school, are they over 18?
0: No, 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 they're both, they were, they were high school students uh, at a school in Tallahassee. And this one kid who was kind of a dick went and picked a fight with this other kid who'd been, I think was basically just being bullied. And the kid bit off uh, part of his ear. The bad kid? The, 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 kid, kid? the kid who had been uh, uh, attacked and who, the, 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 so one kid started the fight, the kid mm-hmm. fought back Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it was, that was facts and evidence. It was stipulated. This is what's going on with the cannibalism in Florida, by the way. There's so much to talk about with Florida, but here's what it came down to. You're going to hear a lot of stuff in here, but here's what this comes down to. This case comes down to this. Did this school correctly follow its established policy for teachers supervising students before school started? There's a lot of specificity in that. You're not not here to decide whether whether ears are good or bad. You're not here to decide whether these teachers work hard. You have a single fact to determine. The single fact is this. Did the school and its teachers follow the policy of monitoring students? And they hadn't. Because it happened on school grounds. On school grounds before school. And basically, a teacher had not been standing in this one spot at the time they were supposed to be standing in this one spot. Okay, so, boom, game over. Now you have to decide how much these people should get. And then you get to the judge. How
1: much the parents of the bad kid should get for the missing ear? Nope.
0: How much the school system will have to pay the kid who bit, who got his ear bitten off because he had been improperly supervised. I see. So then you get to the really fun part. The judge says, okay, now I realize you, you haven't gotten to have your little Caesar's pizza that arrived right before we called you back in. I know you haven't eaten in hours, but here's the thing. It's going to take 45 minutes. I'm going to read you the jury instructions, and I want you to listen very carefully. And the judge reads mm-hmm. the jury instructions, which, of course, now have, you know, <clears throat> were negotiated by by the counsel and by, by the judge. It takes you,
1: 45 minutes to read these? It,
0: I, I want to say it took at least 20, but I think it was over half an hour. And they read you the jury instructions, and they say, now go back there and decide.
1: And we Did you back. get your little Caesar's pizza at that point?
0: At that point, the bailiff had already taken the pizza away because they thought it was all done. So we didn't get to eat which sounds like a like a trifling matter but you know I, i'm either hypoglycemic or impatient depending on who you ask sure. so uh everybody's a little loopy it's getting to be past eight o'clock and so you know what yeah. we did we, we did the thing we'd seen on tv which is we said okay okay we're gonna we're gonna you know what we're gonna do you know what we're gonna do we're gonna find okay that yeah look at that happened but you know you know you know what you got to pay one dollar one dollar one dollar
2: <laughs> one dollar.
0: <laughs> so we came back in. We came back in, and we handed him this thing. And then, have you reached the verdict? Yes. Was unanimous? Yeah, 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 yeah. We had the jury find in the case of da, 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 pay one dollar. <laughs> Counsel for the plaintiff, who looked like Bill Clinton, shoots up into the air, raises his hand, and said some kind of Harry Potter mumbo jumbo about I, how I he he objected because if memory serves and I was very very hungry at the time I think he said something like he objected because the um the the penalty did not uh uh, accord with the facts and evidence per the jury instructions right and the judge goes I think he took off his little round glasses off the end of his nose and goes (sighs) (laughs) sustained jury jury I'm going to read you the jury instructions again and I want you to listen very carefully were we, alla- were we allowed were we allowed to ask questions about what we did wrong we were not oh, okay. we, were, we were we were allowed to like basically see where the red marks on our paper were no did He's- you include did you, did you remember to put the date on it oh you know what we probably forgot that or we that'll didn't sign our legal you. name that'll bounce you right back it's not a long story we had to go back and uh no no it pizza were,
1: what what was it in the jury instructions that prohibited you from uh, awarding one dollar I don't know. I still don't know. I was hungry. I don't wow. I don't remember. We went
0: back, we came up with some phony baloney number, and then we finally got to go to the parking garage and go home. One thousand dollars? One I honestly you'd have to go look 94? it up. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, that was that. And um that's frustrating. You really want to award somebody one dollar? It's one a time. shame that you can't go and volunteer because I, I think you'd be great at it, you know. And m-
1: what I mean, I would go down every couple of oh, months. Well, I be, wasn't addressing right.
0: your 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 original question, which is that oh, isn't it just like retirees who are looking for somebody to to you know a place to you know somewhere where they could get up at four in the morning, put on a necktie and a yeah. nice dress and show up? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I mean, use their and, skills like that Robert De Niro movie, uh, where he uh, went. It's a movie that you see on an airplane. Um, where he went <clears throat> and got a job after he was retired. I think his wife oh, died.
0: Oh right, he, with with the girl from Les Mis. And with he the was girl, from the, he was the
1: intern. He was the intern, right? He was and the titular intern. He would had been a vice president at a company that made uh, grockets. Yeah. In the very building that she had now started her uh, fashion. Startup. Oh my gosh, what are the chances? And then every morning he got up and he put on his tie. He was so elegant. And then it turned out. He knew uh, everything because he was a wise sage. Yeah, he was—he was like basically driving Miss Daisy.
0: Um, but I think the attorneys for each side have something very particular in mind and who they're looking for. And and you know, honestly, they don't want somebody who's there to take up a chair. They want—they want somebody who they might want somebody who's kind of frustrated with the system. Think about that, depending on which side. Or you want somebody who is going to see through. Uh, you know, to not have a preconception about a certain side, and if you, and maybe you want somebody who's a little cynical
1: about the system. That's, what about a guy? What about a middle-aged guy who's bouncing up and down in his chair, going ooh, 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 ooh? See, on the face of it, it feels like that should really work. Right. It
0: feels It feels like that would be just the thing that would say, like, look, look at this little fella. He he really I, wants I, to be here.
1: I want to do a good job. I will listen to the jury instructions. I yeah. will really listen to them. Yeah. I will get every every last uh, every last comment in the jury instructions because that's the type of thing I like, too. They give you a pad of paper. That's nice. You can write things down. You can make notes. But no chance. There's no chance. I can't just go down and, like, sit out front. I should. I should go down to the courthouse, sit out front with a sign, and say why, like, I'm on strike against the court system. Why have I never been called? Well, charged? how does Taylor Swift get called but not you? Ter- Taylor Swift got called to a jury? Oh, yeah. She,
0: she took selfies with everybody.
1: Well, this is the thing. I mean, I don't— I, would I mean, w-
0: she, you're, you're both you're both prominent rock musicians. Yeah. If you can take selfies with other jurors, yeah. I would be
1: good at that, too. You love I selfies. Would, you wish people would, would take Instagram more selfies. I do. And I you,
0: do. Would have, you would have you'd have probably have a great outfit every day. You would look fantastic. People, thank they would be proud to have to be judged by you or to be juried by you. Thank
1: you. Thank you. There'd be, you know, there'd be uh, 11 uh, people up there. Good and true. And mm-hmm. and uh, and, uh, and, you know, I would look like amazing.
0: It's too bad you can't just go and, like, I wish it was a little bit more like a cafeteria where you could go and say, like, you know, here's my budget for this. Like, I yeah. would like something that's not too dramatic where I could be out in two to four days. Right. And, they should it,
1: they should impanel juries at the, at the start of the week. They should know all their cases. Mm-hmm. And they should say, who wants to be on a one-day trial? Right. And everybody put their hands up. You know, and then it's like, who wants to be on a trial that potentially could go for months? Yes. And there would be there would be plenty of people that were like, you know what, me, yep, me, me, I want that. Mm. Oh yeah, yo. So anyway, you are right here on the cusp of an historic day. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Which is going to be <clears throat> historic. Oh god. And uh, everything's happening. It's all happening at once. All the built up stress of all these months. Yeah. And you're going to be sitting somewhere listening to opening remarks. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll
0: find out today. I'll find out this afternoon. I've been reloading the website because sometimes they put up the uh, notice a little bit
1: early. Oh, vault is what we say in a situation like this.
0: Yeah, Mazel Tov cocktail.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I want to wish you good, good,
0: good speed. Thank you, man. You sound really good today. What's going on? You sound. It sound. Did
1: you? Did you ever make it to the pharmacy? I did. I did. I'm re-upped on my uh, on my uh, pharmaceuticals.
0: Oh, this is great news.
1: Yeah, and um, but you know, I spent the weekend <clears throat> down at a cabin on the water uh, in the general vicinity of Olympia, Washington. Uh-huh. And I was with uh, I was with some friends. I brought my daughter. Uh, my lady friend was there some other pals and we watched the ball eagles fly around oh that sounds really nice made some you know it was one of those things where uh, you spend eight hours making dinner
0: oh that's 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 a nice day that's, we, had yeah. the, we, had
1: the, we had the big carnival at school
0: this weekend which was which was a lot of work but uh yeah. but but it's it's nice to have something that uh, distracts the mind a little bit with a family that's a nice thing
1: yeah it was it was good and um, and now I'm back here in the town and this is <clears throat> this is a busy week for me, of course, because several months ago or something, someone wrote me an email, which often happens, mm-hmm. and they said, hey, I've got a great idea. Why don't you curate a show for election night? Mm-hmm. And I was like- That sounds yeah, right up your alley. Yeah, curate a show for election night. That's a wonderful idea. Yeah, it'll be great. Curate a show for election night. Okay, great. Uh, but then as time wore on- uh, the show is a kind of sh- it's like a regular show that they do and they just have guest curators come in. But the regular show has a real format. Oh, OK. And so the format is not being altered at all for the election night. And the format itself is like, oh, OK, I, I see what you're doing. Uh, can I ask what the format is? Well, the format is get three songwriters who then sit on stage with one another and interact with each other and like play on one another's tunes, which right away is a ton of work for It's people. a lot more than it sounds like. It's yeah, you don't just get up and like, oh I'll jam with you on your tune. Like you have to learn one another's songs, you have to rehearse them, you have to care, you have to be into it. Like you can't just pick Three random musicians—they all have to have respect for one another and be into playing on one another's songs.
0: Yeah, and play, play the right part, be supportive. It's not
1: always going to be uh, George Harrison and Eric Clapton. Yeah, right. And I've, you know, I've seen shows where everyone on stage totally uh, respected one another as songwriters, but didn't actually want to jam or want to play on one. You know, they, like, like I did a tour one time with like some very notable people who were trying to do this thing on tour. And at a certain point, one of the songwriters was like, you know what? This doesn't really, I feel like I'm not really into these other people's songs that much creatively. Oh, interesting. And it was like, Hmm, what about, you know, like, uh, well, I guess right. That, that has, an internal integrity to it, you know, like in a way the the, because at first you're like, Hmm, that's not being a very good sport. But then when you think about it, what the comment was effectively was, you know, music is a sacred calling to me. And so I feel like I'm doing everyone a disservice by playing half acidly on this stuff that I can't get my whole soul behind. And so at the end of the day, you're like, Hmm, that's taking it more seriously than I was taking it.
0: Uh, because I, was like, oh, <laughs> I wonder uh, if I should opt
1: out. <laughs> Jangity jang jang. I mean, you know, and um, and so, and I wasn't like one of the players. I was just, I was just a. Uh, I was actually the driver on that tour. Hmm. But anyway, so it's a bigger deal uh, than just yeah, throw p- three people up there and they're going to jam with each other. And then mm-hmm. here's the rest of the format. There will also be a poet who's on stage with the three musicians are you with me yes so far see where we're going and then two painters who are painting during the show no really and so uh, this all kind of like came out gradually like yeah i'll i'll do a show and then a kind of a month of silence went by and it was like all right we should start talking about that show okay great it's election night what i was thinking is i'd get up there with some friends we'd play a song then we'd talk about the election we'd talk about the thing. Uh, we'd rap 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 about, about the, the night and then maybe play another song. And, uh, and the person who runs the thing w- came back and was like, yeah, um, except for that's not how we do the show. Here's how we do the show. And I was like, and a- with every iteration of like, here's how we do the show. I was like, oh, hmm. Uh, uh yeah. All right. Yeah. I get it. You know, poet and, uh, and, uh, some painters. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've been on stage with painters before. This that's, is
0: this. I don't know, man. This that this feels gimmicky. Well, sure. That's the thing. It's a gimmick. Um, but I mean, it's and, like it's like on Project Runway when they ask people to be inspired by a bridge or a theme
1: park ride, and you're like, yeah. well, I'm not really sure that's how inspiration works." Yeah, right. <laughs> can you can you be inspired by this flashcard? Go. Yeah. And so and and also like it's not at that point it's not me. Doing a show, it's me filling a role, or mm-hmm. me. So you're shoehorning me, me now. Not, this is your, your not, MC role. Yeah, right. Um, and so as time went on, like I kind of got less and less interested in it. I procured a couple of great musicians for it, but you know, my, but and they're going to be amazing. But like you know, my, my heart wasn't in it. Like I, uh, I could, I can picture it going down and um, and i can mc a thing like that because i am not someone who's like the spirit and soul of my mcing duties pre- precludes me from being a part of this like dog and pony show yeah like no i will mc you're a gamer you'll get out there and mc yeah sure the release of the new chevy camaro i would if that's a if that's a show i'll get up with a microphone like you could hand me a microphone at at a at a like legal execution And I would be like, thanks, everybody, for coming. (laughs) This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by
0: Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. No credit card required. Be sure to enter the offer code supertrain at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. With easy-to-use tools and templates, Squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace is going to help you do that. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands and takes away all the pain points. Stuff like worrying about hosting, scaling, or what to do if you get stuck with something, they have it sorted at Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of skill level with no coding nerdery required. Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology to power your site and to ensure security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands of the world, including Roderick on the Line. If you are listening to this show, which I think you are, you're using Squarespace because that is where we host this site. It's where it's always been hosted. We love Squarespace. Ah, the site templates, they're just stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design that means they're going to look great on every style, kind, and size of dingus or device. This is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They have 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. They have teams in New York, Dublin, and Portland. They're standing by. They're ready to help you right now. Squarespace also has a commerce platform. And that means anyone can add a store to their Squarespace site. They have the beautiful cover page functionality, make great-looking single-page websites, rock-solid, fast hosting, and so much more. And you know what? Hey, can I just say, if you want to stretch Squarespace even further, not a problem. You got to check out their dev platform. This lets you dig into the code and tinker with your very own Squarespace site. You will get code on your hands, but there's probably a bomb for that. If you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name. You should totally sign up for a year. That means you get to pick whatever name you want for your site. And Squarespace plans start at a very affordable $12 per month. So please go today and start a trial with no credit card required. Start building your website today by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, do yourself a favor. Use the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN. That's one word, SUPERTRAIN. And that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase And yes, selfishly, it will show your support for Roderick on the Line, which of course you would want to do. You're a person. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the Line and
1: all the great shows. So today we're going to kill this person with uh, lethal injection. Uh, So is everybody comfortable? All right, let's get started. So, but then as time went on, it was like, now, wait a minute, this is not just a thing. This is not in the category of things that I kind of agreed to do and then just sort of don't want to do as, as it gets closer to the show, which is, which is a a big category. This is actually a night that I would rather be somewhere else because I've been getting a lot of invitations, like come to our election night party. It's going to be insane. And I'm like, I would like to do that. Rather, I would let, I'd rather be, uh, I would rather be somewhere other than on stage <laughs> with two painters and a poet. Mm. Um, and while you know, while three musicians like like good-naturedly labor their way through a show, take a load off, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> or just like so. This is a song that I wrote uh, a few years back, and then everybody else is kind of chin on hand, going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and you know, and the and the the. The main person of the thing is standing in the back of the room and the room is half full because none of us have bothered to promote it. Or maybe the room is one eighth full, which is going to be even better because it's a night where other people also want to be doing something else. And the guy you're the back, saying this
0: is tomorrow night? Yeah, tomorrow night. The, the night of the 2016 presidential election.
1: That's correct. Now, oh, we're, we're both in an awkward position here. This is woof. Yeah, we are. And in fact, I sent an email this past weekend where I was like, look, we haven't really promoted this. There aren't that many people coming. Clearly, we haven't prepared at all. Um, so why don't we just put, postpone this? And the person uh, running it wrote me back very cheerfully. It was like, ha ha ha. I totally know uh, where you're coming from, but we've never postponed a show. We, oh no. He said, we don't postpone these. I was like, we don't postpone these. Huh. Um. Like we don't, we don't put our elbows on the table. We don't, um, we don't take a crap on the table. We do it. We do it no matter what. Right. And I felt like, oh, well, if that's the case, then you must have a contingency plan for when I don't do it. Failure is not an option. But I, but I didn't do that, of course, because no. I tried to be a good sports. You're the MC. Yeah. And so I was like, mm, all right. Have you, have and, you, have you
0: attended one of these?
1: No. Okay. No. Because over and they have been doing these for a long time, but this is not the kind of show I typically would go to unless someone specifically invited me and it met the following criteria. I cared about the performers. I didn't have anything else to do. I happened to be in the neighborhood. Right. And someone took me by the hand and said, I'd never seen the likes of McNamara's band. Mm -hmm. Why not come with them now? Um, And none of those things had ever happened. And so, and, and the thing is it takes place in uh, an old church, I think. And also it has always vaguely had a sort of churchy vibe in the sense that, you know, the Seattle music scene 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago. There was a new sort of very evangelical element that came into the music scene. Oh, interesting. That was a thing where a lot of kids that had grown up with evangelical parents were in churches where rock and roll was not only permitted but encouraged. Okay. Like the the uh, the worship band was a rock band rather than a non-rock band. And so it was an element of, you know, it's like when the ministers started to have tattoos and started do you remember did you ever see the long winners on tour where Sean Nelson bought an extreme teen bible and every you know between songs he would just read excerpts from I don't extreme, I don't remember that but I have heard
0: about this is a kind of famous
1: bible. Yeah, the extreme teen bible extreme where all teen the bible, bible verses had been written had been rewritten in in terms, you know, in in what they imagined were the language of extreme teens. Oh boy. And we had one of these a long time ago, and we we it was a it was one of our gimmicks. Re, read it for one tour.
0: I bet the bet the
1: uh, Old Testament would be uh, pretty interesting. Made really extreme. good. Some pretty extreme. extreme in parts. And you know, Sean Nelson is a great read alouder, and he did a little bit dramatic interp. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, so the extreme teen rock and roll thing started to come into the Seattle music scene, kind of heavy. Um, it was just sort of there all of a sudden. And those of us who had been in the music scene for a long time were like, what the who? And Dave Bazan being one of the, uh, one of the earliest and sort of most prominent, uh, people in this thing. But it turned out that that segment of the scene, which was a large, you know, 20% probably of the, of the music scene at a certain point produced a lot of big rock bands. Like the head and the heart came out of that. And, uh, and Father John Misty and, you know, like a lot – and and a lot of them lost their uh, – as they became more, you know, basically let's just say drugs and sex or mm-hmm. whatever. They kind of – they transitioned. But a lot of people didn't. And so this venue and this experience over there with the painters and the poet, it always had a little bit of a vibe of being part of that scene. Hmm. And that scene's always been a little difficult to navigate because – it's never overt. Nobody says – nobody ever has said that I've seen from the stage anything remotely proselytizing. It's just they're like, hey, everybody, thanks for coming to the show. And then they play the show. And there's all the kind of encoded language in the songs about mm-hmm. lifting oneself up. You get the, and be- the dog whistles of faith. You get all the dog whistles within the tunes, but all kind of in extreme teen language. Hmm. And so, the people that are looking for it, or the people that are there because the band is also in their church, um, they're all like nodding and going like, "Yes." Um, like l- this past year at the Puyallup Fair, which is the Washington State Fair, uh, there was a there's a tent where they do the uh, the sort of community cultural events like uh, the the Thai dancers, like people that are in their, in a, in, they're practicing their own sort of uh, culture of, of a particular community. Like the, the, at one point during the day, it'll be Ethiopian drummers and then it'll be so forth and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, and I went by, I went by the tent at one point and there were these wonderful women doing this sort of, you know, this ballet, like, but modern, like they're doing modern ballet. Across the stage, and there's no one in the audience, and so I think this is wonderful, and obviously I'm with my daughter, and she is intrigued, and all the women are in kind of like uh, different shades of pastel, sort of flowing, uh, angelic costumes, hmm. and they're doing this wonderful dancing, and so we go over and we sit down in the chair, and they're and and they're obviously like both really talented dancers and also really sincere about what they're doing. And I was uh, really drawn in and so was uh, the little one. And then at one point, one of the, because, because there would be a group dancing and then on either side of the stage, there would be the dancers in waiting. And there was something about the way that they, that they constructed their act so that, uh these dancers would move kind of like a wave over in this direction, and then they would pick up one of the dancers that was on the side. She would join their little motion and they'd spin around and they'd wave around and then two of them would drop off the other side of the stage and then they'd spin around and then one of them would come on from you know, it was like really a fluid motion. It sounds and like then, a lot of work. It was great, you know, a lot of work. And then at one point, one of the dancers on the other side, I noticed, had one hand up in the air, palm out, and was eyes closed, kind of like head lifted unto the heavens. Huh. And, they're they're exalting and, a little bit. Yeah. Well, and at first I didn't recognize what it was. I thought maybe it was part of the dance. And, and I was even more intrigued because I thought, oh, wait, are the dancers in waiting on the side of the stage also in the dance? And I'm just not paying attention to them, but in – in standing there watching the dance they're also they, should, they, the they should be regarded as being on the proscenium yeah they're they are part the off stage is part of the stage because you know it's all exposed and i was like what is going on and then i saw and she was kind of like singing along with the music and then i then i was like oh is that some exaltation is that like some um and I, maybe at one point she put her hand over her heart and then I started to see a couple other of the dancers also behaving uh, in, in this fashion. And so I tuned into the music a little bit more. And it was because it was rock music. It wasn't, they were dancing not to classical music, but to like a pretty rock and electric pop. Mm-hmm. I tuned into the music and started to hear the dog whistling um, lyrics about, I mean, I can't duplicate. The lyrics, but definitely like stuff that was about probably
0: like 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 freedom,
1: Mm -hmm. eternity, uh, being together forever, grace, people guiding you, Mm -hmm. not, you know, like the uh, loaves into fishes, which Mm. is a great lyric. Uh, And then I realized, oh, my goodness, this is a rocking modern ballet evangelical troupe. Who rather than do a kind of Mennonite costume got into super good? I mean, they're because they're all uh, women between the ages of 20 and 25, and they're all great dancers and all, you know, lithe in this. And so I was like, what community of evangelical Christians can produce this? Like what was what started did, was it like in the church and then someone said, "Hey, who wants to audition for the dance troupe?" Or was it did it start as a dance troupe and then they all converted? Like, right, but 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 there's that idea of using one's talents to serve the Lord. Right. What so just which way did that where did that come from? Yeah, and how do you, how do you gather unto you unto your flock twenty five great dancers? It wasn't like there was one really good dancer and then a bunch of people kind of just winging it. Yeah, it's not it's not just regular people in the church that are like, "Hey, let's use dance." It was, "No, we're all we all came we all studied dance." That's a very interesting project. Because how do you get 25 really good dancers to do anything, regardless of like where they're coming from? Let alone, you know, to, I mean, it's just like saying, "We would we're going to put together a dance troupe of people that, you know, like of the greatest chess players in the region who also are amazing dancers." And I guess there are probably, there are probably more (laughs) Christian dancers than there are chess playing dancers or like top shelf chess playing dancers.
0: But it's hard to know because it's like a, it's a, it's a pie chart of a pie chart. It's like a subset of the pie. I mean, there's not that many of any of those things, but Mm -hmm. then when you get that down to number of people who have an evangelical bent and then the smaller number that
1: are willing to combine those, you're getting to a pretty thin slice of pie. Well yeah and and it's like it's not just dancers right there there were no there were no people up on stage who had majored in hip hop dance I mean it's like classically trained dancers they could all go up on point they were all they were all leapers you know So uh so within the within the Seattle music scene there's a similar kind of thing like the 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 rock the Christian rock overlap here is all very beardy it's all very banjoey And it's all like, you know, tight pants and, uh, and what we formerly would have said were chain wallets, but they don't, you know, nobody wears a chain wallet anymore. And, uh, and so it's a, it's this, you know, it's a scene within a scene, which is all to say, this is one more very small. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not kept out of that scene at all. Some of the people in that scene are very good friends and musical, even musical collaborators so I would that, but it's just another small thing that would have kept me from going to see this painter poet thing, because it's sort of like oh, I don't, you know, like I hear your dog whistle, but I'm not a dog. You know what I'm saying?
0: I do. The reason I keep turning it over in this particular way is like this the the, the you 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 put it well with the with the first basic layer, which is there's going to be these three musicians that are interacting and playing each other's songs, which as you described is is pretty complicated stuff yeah but it doesn't stop there because then no. you've you've got the, this other like you know the, what is it the musicians of uh, Bremen or whatever what was that <laughs> called remember that where they the animals stand on each other's shoulders yeah, yeah
1: the musicians of Bremen is that what it's called <laughs> Oh, let's call it
0: that something like that but you got the, <laughs> the druid. Music, I
1: think it's the music I think it's the uh, I think it's the the, the, the Playhouse yeah doc, the Das Donkey Music yeah the Das das, da, uh, das i was gonna say Das Dachau Donkey Music <laughs> oh, but dear. that's a bad idea
0: um
1: doc, doc, uh, Das Dresden uh, uh, Dresden Dalin does uh, donkey down,
0: and uh, but then you add in the poet, <laughs> and then you are, are the painters supposed to be painting based on how they feel about what they're watching, or are they illustrators of the scene? Because that uh, here's what I'm trying to get at is is that I I'm, I'm sometimes uh, intrigued and often very befuddled by the abstract idea of what other people will find entertaining, and it almost feels like a stoner chef. We're like, you're gonna come up with these really crazy ideas that sound really good in your head. It might actually be kind of fun if you're super high, but for somebody who's not, that's not, you're not gonna get a sitter to go to the stoner restaurant. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes I feel like there's this very, fairly abstract idea of what what constitutes entertainment because reasons, because like you have a certain way of thinking about things, but like that sounds like a first draft of an event to me. That, That does not sound like something I would return to a lot. And maybe that's just because I'm not eclectic enough to appreciate uh, the the Beau arts all going together like that. But that it feels
1: very abstract. So the, so in my music career, this has happened now several times. Like there's a there's that show in Portland that I often do, Live Wire, which is sort of a old old timey radio show, but but new timey. But they have you know they have foley artists, they have people doing skits. Like, yeah, there's another show that that sounds kind of like. Yeah. Right? Like radio, radio, here we come. <laughs> clop, clop, clop. here comes the horse. What lot you a
0: lot of garrison Keillor fans coming up to defend uh, Prairie home companion to you. a yeah, show no, that you've like never heard.
1: I got a lot I got a lot of like, how, you know, how dare you? And I was like, i ne- listen, I said very clearly, I've never heard uh, Prairie Home Companion. I'm just shitting on it from afar. <laughs> Uh, as you know, there's a lot in this culture and I'm, I'm guilty of this where you're just, uh, you're just shitting on things with a t-shirt cannon,
2: mm. right? Like
1: I see the, Hey, you up there in the stands, Pop. but, uh, but so there was a, there was a, a person uh, named Scott Poole who was the poet laureate of a lot of the Livewire shows I did, who watched the show throughout the show and then at the end of the show got up and performed a poem, sort of an epic poem that he'd written about the show he just watched. Oh, my goodness. And he, he was a talented poet and a, and a funny person and he would read these poems and you'd be like, you know, I was wincing as you walked up on the stage at the prospect of thinking, uh, hearing a poem about this show, but that was pretty good. You know, like, I liked that. That was good. I don't know if I would buy a book of them, but, you know, so I've done shows where there was an, an element of this. And then a few times I've been on stage with a painter or at least seen a painter on stage with a band. really one time. I, Hod- I, I feel like this is the first I've ever heard of that. No, this, this is – the this. I don't know if it's a thing, but it's been enough of a see, thing. I
0: could see somebody doodling at a conference. I have a friend who's one of those people who's – he's a doodler, and he's a conference goer, and he brings it get together too much wonderful effect, where he'll doodle his version of like – he'll have this one big one panel, a page of a person's talk that can be really illuminating and a, one of the better summaries of what you've just seen. Like
1: I could see that. Like somebody sitting there with a black pen and a, and a, a piece of paper – so that person that you're describing has actually doodled uh, one of my talks. Oh, is that right? And uh, and my icon, my icon was done by that this guy I'm talking about, Dave Gray. Oh, uh, is he's, right. he's, he's a good doodler. That
0: icon of me that I use everywhere is is from uh, he did the uh, stuff for the Merlin Show. If you remember that show that you were oh, on, oh sure, yeah, yeah, that all I those, remember. that's all him. Yeah,
1: uh, he did me at at the XOXO conference. And you're right. There's a central drawing, and then around it a lot of thought bubbles. Of I enjoy those. I, I I enjoy yeah. those. But actually. At that same talk, another person was doing the same thing. Like multiple people I think, me- I think that that's a genre. I think that's kind of a genre. But this is not that, right? No. This, this, is, is, this so- is
0: a painting or a, a, about the, the – is it oil painting?
1: Well, I, there are two painters. Two so painters. it's just like finding a bunch of evangelical dancers. How do you find two painters who will, A, paint in front of people – in the space of an hour and a half. The or- two painters is super interesting to me for a variety of reasons. First of all, because it's
0: sort of like you think about like, oh, you know, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is obviously the guy who plays Hamilton. But Javier Munez is his understudy. He understands right. he's the understudy. In this sure, case, Javier. now, is, the, is one of them the primary painter and the other one's the backup? And if not, how is it not a competition? And what is a backup painting? Well, it must be that they're both on. They're both lieutenant colonels of painting. It's just that you can't kind of can't help but go, that one's way better.
1: Well, yeah. And so are the painters on opposite sides of the stage facing the audience or are they situated next to one another and like looking at each other's painting as they're painting? Like, hmm, that's right. I'm going to use brown, too. (laughs) Uh, I don't like, I don't know. I have no idea having never been to the show, right? It's just like, uh, like if somebody came to me and said, all right, you have to put on an episode of Prairie Home Companion, go. I would say, all right. And I'd step to the microphone and say, Lake Wobegon is a little old town where everybody has a good day and people are nice to one another. And well, that's stunning! Our, you really nailed it. And you know, here is a, an advert, a false advertisement for some old-timey flower. And now we're going to hear some uh, banjo picking from this guy standing. Uh, from, we're going to hear some banjo picking from this painter while this painter paints him. You know, and uh, I might might be able to, uh, you know, t-shirt cannon full of shit or, or my way through an hour and a half of that. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. Are
0: those shows four and a half hours? They're two hours long, as as presented on the public radio. And it's probably
1: an edit, right? It's probably a careful edit of a four hour long show. Oh, right. I, I
0: imagine Absolutely. it's longer than that and they edit it down. i, I yeah, I would imagine
1: sixteen hours and he writes it's, that it's, he
0: writes that show every week. Well, I mean, now it's
1: the other guy, but I mean, I've always admired that about him that he he wrote that show every week now he's retired and he's probably driving around in a in a Volvo station wagon that has a Ford v eight motor in it that was given to him by Paul Newman.
0: Oh, that's nice. That, you
1: know what that's really nice. Yeah, that is nice. But, uh, so the two times I've seen this done, one time I was on stage with John Hodgman in, uh, Tucson, Arizona, and there's a local painter who painted an epically sized mural, a mural that went across the entire back of the stage. Um, so we're talking about 25 to 30 feet long and 10 feet tall. And he painted it throughout the show and it was a picture of Cthulhu, uh, And Cthulhu was, with its many tentacles, grabbing both Hodgman and me. Wow. Fairly well represented uh, and pulling us, you know, into its Cthulhu uh, nightscape. They did uh, this while the show was going on? While the show was going on and completed it by the end of the show so that it was like a complete work and like kind of amazing. So amazing that it felt like a shame to – because it's not a thing that anybody would has even have space for, and if you did have space for it, probably you don't want a an epically like multi-panel oil painting of me and Hodgman being dragged by Cthulhu. Hmm. Uh, so, but but it also felt like too big of a too great of a thing to just throw in a dumpster, and that was like a really impressive work. And in the space of the show, it didn't really intrude on the show. He just worked back there doing his thing and it just gradually produced an effect of wow uh this is a this has been a great show this that's pretty that's pretty awesome it was inspiring
0: it would have to depend a lot on what, what the the person who was doing that work and how it
1: turned out right right and 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 i think a lot of it was the sort of tight wire act of when he first started painting on this giant canvas like what this is going to be awful you know Mm-hmm. This show's only two hours long. How can this possibly turn out? And uh, it did. But the other time I've seen, uh, I was playing in a. I was playing at a big show at um, uh, in the uh, the Oregon State Capitol at a university there, and we were the uh, the headliners of the the university's like spring fling, and it was one of the great. It was one of the great sort of shows of that era for us because all day long you, you felt like there was a, it was a stage set up on a big grassy field like the quad and it, and the audience was kind of milling around as they so often do at those events, like sort of sparse on the ground and we've played these shows as not the headliner before. Like we played a show at, at Central Washington University one time where the headliner was somebody like Sir Mix-a-Lot. And we played on a stage where you could, have, you could have said hello to each audience member by name and spoken to them at length about their day and it wouldn't have intruded on the show. Um, and those are terrible. I mean even when you're being paid a lot of money – to do them to just stand there and play to an empty grass field is a bad feeling. All right. So we were here at this university. We're playing this, sh- we're watching the other bands and it's also like 15 bands on stage. And, uh, we're watching the other bands and no, the audience is not very big. Uh, and it's a big field mm. and we're like, uh, oh, this is another one of these bogus, bogus things. We played a ski resort one time. Or actually, wait a minute. We have played two ski resorts. Both times opening for the presidents of the United States of America and one and one time in front of the day lodge and it was another thing where there were a bunch of people like literally on skis watching us play and it felt like this is kind of a bummer. And then the presidents of the USA took the stage and all of a sudden there were 900 people in ski boots all standing in snow totally rocking out. Uh, The second time it was a better deal. It was at the Sundance Film Festival. I digress. And this was the thing where when we took the stage at this show in Oregon, all of a sudden there were 900 people there and they were going crazy. And it was like, this is the greatest night of our lives. Like, how did this happen? Where did they all come from? But anyway, the band that played immediately before us was a band that, yeah, that you know, their name now is, is fairly known in, in indie rock circles and let's call them like the rainbow happiness band Oh, their name is somewhat similar to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, rainbow, good time, Charlie happiness band. <laughs> and, uh, one of their elements in addition to several other elements, their psychedelic music was that one of the members of the band was sort of like bez from the happy Mondays. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, uh, there was another band that had that. Hazel also had a dancer who was just a member of the band. Yeah. Um, but this band had a painter that was a member of the band. Oh, boy. And she painted throughout the show. And we're talking about a 45 minute show, but made multiple works of art during that time. So it was just sort of up there throwing paint a canvas. Not, not literally Jackson Pollocking it. She had brushes, but she was like making art during this. So it was the very, show. very kinetic. Kinetic art related to it wasn't like I'm making art about the music it is i am a member of this art troupe which is making music and also visual art and it was interesting to watch and and at the time like a little bit a little bit of a of a of a line somewhere between like is this a gimmick or is this the expression of these people who really maybe all grew up together living in a treehouse and Maybe they're all brother and sister.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also it kind of feels like something from the mid late 60s, late 60s, early 70s. Right. It seems like something where you would, you would on your commune, you would all get together and one person would make soup and the other one would play the tambourine about it. And and then somebody would have like an interpretive dance.
1: And this guy over here. (laughs) uh,
0: And (laughs) who has no soup.
1: And uh, somebody the other day on the internet said uh, that we were a show with a bunch of callbacks in it. Huh? And I was like, you know, there was a time when I didn't – I was very contemptuous of shows that had callbacks because yeah. it seemed seemed lazy. But then I realized we do have callbacks and, uh, you know, go stuff yourself. Yeah, sit on it. Yeah, yeah, go sit on it, Potsy. <laughs> Up your nose with a rubber hose. <laughs> yeah, Boston Mass 02134. Stifle. How do you like, well, how do you like about them? them apples? That's right. That's probably the 10,000th time I've said them apples. <laughs> <laughs> In any case. <laughs> <laughs> In any case. The thing is, here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing about things. Um, and so, yeah, right. It felt like, I mean, the Grateful Dead in the early days, the people that were doing, and I think it's a it's a person whose name is well known within the, within the scenes, who sort of started doing those oil-based light shows. Oh yeah, sure.
0: Like for the, like for the uh, aid acid test stuff.
1: Yeah, where they had you know they had uh, they had overhead projectors. Yeah, they would do that. And and were, I think they did that at the Timothy Leary shows uh, here in San Francisco. I'm sure they did. Yeah. Uh, where you know you're dropping little colored oil on the screen and it's making little blobular stuff going around. And I think that it was at the time, well, like considered a, a, a crucial part of the performance because I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. But looking at them isn't really—I mean, like they're not the comeliest band.
0: Well, Can you know, the, the, one of the drummers is ver-
1: kind of good-looking. Which one? Yeah, the, the a, regular guy. Oh, Norm Joe Normal. Oh well, yeah, sure. Bob, Bob Weir—he's not—he's not an unhandsome person, right? Bob Weir is the handsomest member of the Grateful Dead. But there's always been something—I think a I know the names of up to—I think I know the
0: names of up to uh, i think they know the names of up to 3 people in the Grateful Dead. Kreutzmann. Mm. I you got, uh, you, got the, you got Papa Garcia. You got Jerry yep. Garcia. What do they call him? Yep. Daddy. What do they call him?
1: Yeah, Daddy. The the Brent Midland was the keyboard player for a long time who died. Right, we
0: well, got Pigpen from back in the early days, Pigpen,
1: but he died also. You got
0: Bob, Bob Bob Weir, uh, Rod you got, Steiger. You got Phil Bob, Lesh, Bob the, uh, the world's
1: greatest bass player, Phil Lesh. Who? Phil Lesh. I don't know if you've ever listened to a Phil Lesh bass line. No, I don't. But they are. Okay. All right. That's a that's an example of of the rare occasions when a Phil Lesh bass line is not a trip through the forest. Oh, they're both on the, the second fret, super Phil, super well, well located. Phil Lesh is just, just he's just rolling through the tundra. I like a bass line. Yeah, and the, and those bass lines are very imaginative. He's a he's quite an exceptional musician. Uh, whereas a lot of the time, I don't know, you know, like as I was saying from the early days to the very most recent days bob weir obviously odd man out in that band strangely youthful looking strangely younger than everyone else yeah what's bob doing too watching the dead you're like what's bob doing yeah he's playing parts he's playing parts the whole time but what's he doing really and hmm. he and then the songs he sings are uh are all very distinctive he's had his share of uh, of grateful dead standards but you also sort of crave jerry's voice you know what i mean like mm. listening to the tunes you're like mm, that was good let's get back to jerry let's uh, let's
0: let Is jerry it like do who you? do you think that some people are bob people and some people are grant people well i don't maybe most people are bob people
1: yeah, that's what it is. I mean, most people are Bob people. There are some – Grant has his fans.
0: Everybody, there's certain Grant songs everybody likes. And I know you're – I don't mean to mix about who's you do, but like there's lots of bands that are like that. I mean, you take somebody like the the titular band. Like I, I, I wouldn't yeah. want Rick Danko to sing every song, but the ones he does sing, like I find really, really wonderfully moving. Yeah. They, also, they, Robbie they, Robertson he, sometimes pretends to be singing when he's not, I
1: think. Robbie Robertson I don't think can sing because uh, – well, no, wait a minute. He didn't do Last Great American Whale. That was Lou Reed's late period. Who? What it was, was Robbie's It was
0: frequently Levon Helm. Yeah, but Rick, I'm talking about
1: Robbie's '80s hit.
0: Do you oh, remember Robbie's '80s hit? Oh, right. He did uh, have a. He had a Don Henley era,
1: like a 1985ish hit. He'd mostly been writing for yeah. soundtracks, I think. Yep. Uh, and then he uh, he got he got one of those. Remember in the '80s, this was the amazing thing about the '80s. that yeah. There was a market for. Um, middle-aged musicians having not just like a nostalgia career, but here they all come back, right? Like Peter they, Gabriel. So
0: so many. Well, and yeah, but a lot of them, like, or you could even look at uh, John Waite. John Waite? Who'd been in the Babies. Wasn't it the Babies? Oh, oh, John it the Babies. What was John Waite
1: in? I don't know if I go back that far with John Waite. John Waite.
0: Wait. I think um, he, was wait, in, yeah, he was in in the babies. W-A-I-T-E. Yeah, he was in, and then he had that uh, he was he got on new wave at a certain point. Oh, he, you missing, you missing,
1: missing, you. missing, missing, you. You, missing you. missing you. I ain't missing you at all. Missing you. You know, I I I tried to write in here uh Robbie Robertson 80s hit uh to, you know, to do a little bit of that Merlin Mann thing where I'm like I'm going tickety, tickety 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 during during a thing where I'm also talking, yes. which is kind of amazing mm. that you do. Sorry, but uh, but I accidentally miswrote it because I don't have my glasses on, and I wrote Robbie Robertson '80s hot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, Robbie then,
1: Robertson '80s feet. Robbie like, Robertson '80s net worth. <laughs> I got this very strange. Yeah, Robbie Robertson wife height. I got this amazing thing. <laughs> wife, uh, that's right. Wife yeah. is another one. Yeah, uh, if you if you Robbie type Robertson <laughs> If you type John Roderick in, it's like John Roderick wife. It was like third <laughs> down the line. Hmm, who's googling that? It turns out nobody. It turns yeah. out that's just a er- thing. Eric Carmen. That's another one. But uh, Robbie Robertson hot. I suggest you do because there are a lot of websites of uh, people who are saying at some point like Robbie Robertson in the '80s was hot. Yeah. But the hit was somewhere down that crazy river. Hmm?
2: Somewhere down that crazy
1: river. I don't think I know that at all. And well, you know, I suggest you take a look at the at the music video because mm. it is it is a mid 80s and, and 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 it is characterized, uh, I think. Well, let's let's just say if our thesis is that Robbie Robertson can't sing, his we're, 80s we're, hit we're somewhere down. The he, does, he doesn't sing. I
0: feel like I have a gift where I can sometimes tell when someone is pretending to sing. There's a friend of mine in a band in Tallahassee, and uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure he was fake backup singing. And I I feel like I have a gift for knowing when somebody's just mouthing it, when they're doing a uh,
1: Top of the Pops. Well, there's a thing that I learned from Sean Nelson. Like I've learned a lot of things from Sean Nelson, as you know. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things I learned from him, which is if you are lip syncing your song while making a music video, you have to sing. You have to actually sing. Even if you're not being, even if you're This vo- vo- is fascinating vo- being, vo- to me. This, this
0: already makes sense to me. This feels like an Oliver Sacks thing where you're mm-hmm. using a different part of your brain to, to lip sync versus as against a different part of your brain to actually sing. And even if they're not recording the audio, I bet
1: it looks different. Looks completely different. So if you look at the music video for the Decemberists' 16 Military Wives, mm. which I recommend you look at because I have a cameo role. In the music video of 16 Military Wives," but that's not the one where you're the teacher. That's not the Wes Anderson one. That is the one that I'm. Oh, the that's a terrific with. one. Yeah, the Wes Anderson themed music. You have video. a hell of a beard in that one. Yeah, right. That was uh, that was during the like I don't give a fuck era. Mm-hmm. The first one. No, not the first one. Not no, anywhere. It Close was to one the first of the earlier era. ones, maybe. It was well. Let's just say it was one of the mid two thousands ones. Okay. Where I had lost my way, I had I had made the Ultimatum EP, but never released it. And I was just laying around all day writing uh, screeds. Hmm. And then the Decembers were like, will you be in our music video? And I was like, "Uh, uh, all right. But you'll notice in that music video, Colin Malloy is lip syncing rather than singing. And you feel like you can really tell. You can tell. You can tell that it just doesn't quite. It's not that it doesn't line up. It totally lines up. It just doesn't look real. It's this thing that you're saying. It It looks fake. Wow. But if you are singing, if you're actually singing your tune, it looks right. You 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 have to do it. And then once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Um, My, because, mind blown. I, I'm, really, yeah. I'm going to think about this all day now. And Sean came to this discovery, I think, by making music videos. And, you know, one of his music videos maybe was – I think one of them was actually directed by John Flansberg. Uh, like before any of us knew him and was his friend. Uh, he was going through a phase where he was like, I'm directing music videos now. <laughs>
0: you just receive a call from John Flansberg. Hey, just so you know, I'm going to be directing your
1: music video. <laughs> well, I think he was. He said to his manager, like, you know what? Get get my name out there. I'm doing music videos. And I think he did some prominent ones. Um, and I think one of them might have been directed by Rico Kasich or something. You know, like Harvey Danger had, had the money, the major label money, to get these big name people to direct their music videos. Uh, but so Sean had this insight or either someone told him this or he realized it himself by watching himself lip sync and yeah, it's transformative. And so when you see somebody who's not making sound, it's, you can tell. And now you go back and look at the top of the pops videos from the sixties and some of them like Daltrey, always singing at the top of his lungs, right? Dalt- Daltrey's not ever lip syncing, but a lot of those people like, you know, uh, mark bolan or whatever they're just they're just moving their lips right it's, it's hilarious,
0: uh, it's hilarious i i enjoy watching top of the pops because it's it's still fun to just see whoever like early performances by bands you like it's still fun but but uh but you ever, you ever go down the old gray whistle he- test uh rabbit hole yeah. oh, oh yeah. my god there's so much amazing like bands that you just don't think about today like, um, I mean, like the some of the performances by like um, Dire Straits, mm-hmm. so good on there.
1: <laughs> well, the Bee Gees, um, I just, I just tweeted, if you can believe it. You, a, yeah, a link to an uh, an early Bee Gees, not early Bee Gees, right? Because the early Bee Gees is from the late sixties. Like it's they like were very British Invasion-y. Yeah, they had a hit. Early, like, I started that joke. That and also the was mining the, disaster. They had the mining disaster no, that one. one they, it wasn't Waterloo Station, but they, they had a big hit that was oh, 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 the uh, uh, Massachusetts.
0: Massachusetts. Massachusetts.
1: That's the one. That's, That's the a one. Really good song. Big hit in the late sixties, and then they had a. Uh, then they kind of you know went dark for a little bit. Yeah, and then came back in the mid seventies. Well, they started. You get stuff like Jive. I think Jive Talking was a
0: breakthrough. Because that's when they first of all, I mean, they got into the funkier stuff, but also it's when Barry started singing falsetto, which everybody thought was super weird at the time. Because they were thought of as being like the Hollies, they were thought of as a vocal supergroup. like, why is the lead singer? I don't know if he's the lead singer, but why is the one guy singing in falsetto? Now that's so strange.
1: Mm, falsetto, right? Which was he didn't do that was... though.
0: But I mean, what I'm saying is what they were well known for. To us, we're, you know, somebody of our age, you think of the Bee Gees and you think of Saturday Night Fever. It was the biggest album of all time. Big hit, big hit. But but like you know, that was that was really strange to people who thought of them as being this like.
1: How would you describe them of not folk, but like a pop, a British pop act? Yep. Yep. And, uh, oh, and you know, the thing that I, the thing that I tweeted was not old grid whistle test. It was the midnight special. That was the TV show. And those, some of that midnight special stuff, like if you go watch heart do Barracuda live on the midnight special,
0: yeah, it's it's, right. Some of them are are, are pretty wonderfully rough. Like there's a very live feeling to, to that, like a cheap trick kind of thing, like, uh, those shows. But you really see how good those bands were. Oh, you know, how you know, accomplished
1: they, like put together they were. There's no backing tracks, they're right. not rolling tape, there's not a metronome, they're just going for it. Like these are this is how bands were. They were good. But um but yeah, like uh like I think a lot of us post Saturday Night Fever, we got that BG's greatest hits record. And and think of all of that music as being sort of uh, disco, but what's cool about the Bee Gees is they had that greatest hits, and the music did all sound like a continuous sort of Bee Gees experience, and none of it was none of it felt like, well, this is their weird country phase or this was their weird, like, art <laughs> metal phase. Right. They, they, they right. didn't do like trans. They didn't have right. like a vocoder stage. But they, but a, but a lot of those tunes, like, um, how can you mend a broken heart? Oh, or uh, famously, Nights on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not from Saturday Night Fever. That's way before it. Yeah. And if you go on Midnight Special and watch their version of Nights on Broadway.
0: Yeah, that's that's like two
1: years before Saturday mm-hmm. Night
0: Fever. Is that you realize,
1: Yeah. You realize a couple of things. One, Robin Gibb is actually – the because during the during the disco years, Robin and Maurice just seemed like— they were like, like the other guys. Yeah, the other guys.
0: But like Robin, well, not so much Morris, but um, Robin was the star for some of the early ones. He's the funny looking one, but yeah. man, could that guy sing?
1: So you watch Nights on Broadway on. Oh no, I just want to watch Beachy's videos all day. So so first of all, Robin is beautiful at the time, not the weird looking one, but somehow like the charmed in the light one, so super beautiful. He's singing the really high parts. He's actually standing there with no instrument, one finger in his ear. I think
0: Barry naturally had, a, a, as the three of them go, the, the lower voice. He was like the, yeah. not baritone maybe, but he had the lower voice.
1: Yeah, the lower of the three incredibly I think so, voices. yeah. And then Barry's actually playing the guitar, the rhythm guitar. He's actually setting the whole tone. And Maurice is playing a very funky bass line. Wow. And also singing like the third part. And so you walk away from it, going, "Okay, that's really good songwriting." First of all, "Nights on Broadway" is a good song.
0: Straight <laughs> I'm up. just seeing here a purple link, so I have watched them do this, the Midnight Special, mm-hmm. "Nights on Broadway" 1975. So I have watched this before. <laughs> yeah, and well, I suggest you watch it
1: again. And uh, and also they're just a great band. Like, yeah. there's no, there's nobody on stage with them that doesn't need to be there. And uh, there and it's a funky jam. So, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I spend a lot of time down those rabbit holes because I'm always intrigued because you go to a show now and everybody's running tracks and everybody's hiding behind a lot of a a lot of different sort of scrims of production. And the only people that aren't really are playing, you know, like very consciously playing stripped down rock and roll. Right. Like, it's not like the White Stripes ever ran tracks, I don't think. Uh, but that was their thing. It was just like, here's our parts. And also, to,
0: also to keep in mind, um, I'm, I'm thinking now of that um, Ron Howard did that Beatles eight days a week thing. It was on Hulu recently. It was it's actually ve- very depressing to watch. So depressing because it was just basically about the sad period of the Beatles where they suddenly became unexpectedly popular. They all became very unhappy and their live shows – I had no idea what it, I mean, you always hear about, oh, they're drowned out at Shea Stadium. What a shit show. What a dangerous, dangerous, every one of these events, people were getting hurt. Like, it was really, really bad. But like, they had to go and be gamers. There's, they could not hear themselves. And I mean, the, the conventional wisdom about Cream in particular was, well, Cream was the first band that like figured out how to really get the PA thing right. But even going into the 70s, 80s, you could not count
1: on hearing yourself on a monitor. There's the who, you know, they, uh, I think, I think, uh, Marshall, Whatever his name was, Bill Marshall, uh, Bob Marshall. I remember his name, but I'm but I'm not remembering. It. Marshall, Marshall amplifier, Marshall. Yeah, Tony Marshall. Oh, Tony Marshall, of course, uh, in the English Marshalls. Um, yeah, from the from the Marshall Marshalls. Marshall Brodine. but uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Marshall uh, P- Petois.
0: Marshall, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah Patin, <laughs> <Lieutenant laughs> Petain. Marshall, Marshall. Petain. <laughs> um, So Marshall Petain. Uh, I think, Marshall Johnson says. I think The Who went to him and said, Listen, we need bigger amplifiers. And he built the first 100 watt amplifier for The Who just because they said that we, you know. For voice
0: support? Wasn't Pete a high watt man?
1: Yeah, well, uh, high watt, I think he started using high watts maybe later, maybe earlier. But Marshall, Marshall definitely. I may be getting this wrong. but I'm No, but I, I hear
0: what you're saying. I, I'm thinking, though, in particular, like, you could play loud, but it was very difficult for it to be clear. I mean, well, I, into this, the late 60s. This is what I don't
1: understand, because if you watch those Beatles, those early Beatles things, there are no monitors. No. The whole thought technology of just turning an amp. Playing and in, like, an act-
0: underground stone room. Like, you look at the Cavern Club, and it, it's basically a cave. They're playing oh, in – can you imagine the,
1: the acoustics of that room? Well, but I mean, that's just a thing where you set your shit up so that you can hear yourself. But Shea Stadium, where you're playing and the only feedback you're getting is from the sound of the main PA or the sound of like, I think the I think the music that was heard by the people in upper Shea Stadium was coming through the announcers.
0: Well, And it's sort of like your situation opening the mall where like a monitor that you're hearing in a delayed way is way worse than no
1: monitor at all thousand times worse. I told you, didn't I, about Jonathan Colton's first time he played at PAX here in Seattle, where for whatever reason, apparently people giving keynote speeches or video game speeches. I don't want to dive into that morass. Mm -mm. Uh, But don't look that up on your YouTube. But it's it's uh, for I don't know why, but I've seen this subsequently. But there are video monitors at the foot of the stage. Projecting back to back unto you, your own performance. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I'd like that at all. I've seen this now multiple times. Well, so Colton playing this show had these giant video, video monitors at the foot of the stage playing back his own performance with a one second delay. <laughs> so, so he not, not sound, but just vi- Visual. And he's up there like, hey, here's my zombie song, and and he's he, you can't not watch it, right? It's right at your feet, and it's like any television that's on, you're gonna watch because it's, you know, you know what it is.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, if it's visible, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's the uh, it's the drug of the of the youth, right? I mean, television is the uh, the oh, electronic. Oh, Gil,
0: baby Gil Scott Heron, sure. Yeah. Television, um, drug of the nation.
1: So he uh,
0: television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, television. <laughs> television television. i'm I'm not going to arizona (laughs) joke of the nation so i ain't gonna uh, play sun
1: city and that was that i think that was before colton felt like he had enough uh on stage time to demand what he wanted yeah sure so he was like that's kind of not how he rolls it's not how he rolls but he could have said hey can you turn these off and it would have been super gentle and they would have turned them off right or he could have gotten down as i would have done and just unplugged them without asking anybody but you have to think of that. And I think they had to, Im- they had to think of monitors. It wasn't obvious, but when we were first starting out, when I was first starting out as a band and we would show up at a thing and our amps were too big because we were, we were coming from that school like, well, you need a full stack. I mean, we're playing for a, we're playing for 125 people here. Mm-hmm. We definitely need eight speakers per musician powered by 120-watt amplifiers, or your bass amp is 300 watts or something. Can I get more fret noise in my monitor? <laughs> yeah. How, is there a way that we could increase the, like, excruciating high end, like the, <laughs> the razor-sharp high end in my guitar tone? Mm. Maybe if I got two Mesa Bookie triple rectifiers <laughs> and took all of the, you know, ju- just posted the mids and the highs and took all the bass and all, just, you know, just made my, uh, made the graphic EQ just a straight, 45 degree angle up. Oh, that's that's a good look. Oh, that's nice. That's gonna be nice and sharp, right? <laughs>
0: it's like but, throwing an icicle at you.
1: Yeah, it, it would be like that scene in uh, in the Tom Cruise movie, uh, Risky Business, uh, where he uh, slams all the 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 EQs straight up, right? Uh, the pr- parametric EQs. But that drives a
0: lot of people crazy to watch a scene like that. Yeah,
1: that seems really cool. But instead of doing that, just post the highs and just lower the the lows. My mom, when she took over when she took over listening to metal in our house. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she, she took the, over, b- the baton was passed to your mom. Yeah, she took over listening to metal in such a way that it was no longer possible for me to listen to metal because I'm not going to be down in my room listening to metal while my mom is listening technically to better metal on a better stereo in her own room. No, that's not fair. That just feels like, what? What are you? This is You are robbing me of my childhood. But she didn't care. And she had an EQ on her own stereo, which I did not have on mine. And she just boosted the bass and took everything... I mean, every frequency that she could above 4K. I want five seasons of a Netflix show about your mom. She just she just put it all down. So you'd hear from her room, Black Sabbath, (laughs) (laughs) and then zero Ozzy or just barely like faintest, (laughs) faintest Robert Plant that you could imagine. Um, It's like a homeopathic dose of Robert Plant. (laughs) And she's just like, how can I get that annoying sound out of my speaker? Um, so uh, w- what What I learned early on was that we just carried an extra amp, which was like a PV bass amp, an amp that none of us really wanted. One of those amps that's just hanging around your practice studio. you yeah. are like, where did, where did that amp come from? And at first, if you ask that question early enough, like somebody – in your organization, will say, "Oh, that's that PV base amp that I uh, that I got from my older brother or my brother's friend," and uh, I just needed a place to store it because I but don't. But it's a, want it it's in a mind. forgotten amp, right? But if you ask that question after it's been there for six months, hey, where's what's the story with this amp? It's already too late, like yeah. the memory of how t- it got t- there. Tears is and rain. Yeah, exactly. But so we took one of those amps to every show, and if the PA was not capable of giving you monitor back. You'd just take a quarter inch out mm-hmm. and stick it into the front of this PV and amp. And you, mo- mostly vocals? Yeah, and you just put all the vocals in it. And then you set it down on the basically on the floor in front of you with a cinder block propping it up. There's your there's your vocals. I mean, and, and we never played a room, and we were loud. We were so much louder than you needed to be. We never played a room where you couldn't hear your vocals if you had a PV bass amp pointed at your face. So I don't understand how that wasn't a technology that was available. If you if you took an early tweed Fender Twin and put it at the feet of John Lennon and ran a quarter inch into it with his vocals in it. That's a really good know. question. That's a very good question. I, I'm going to guess,
0: knowing nothing about this, I'm going to guess it had something to do with feedback.
1: Well, yeah, but you can control that too. I mean, even with the technology that they had at the time, they would have been able to at least give him some augmentation. And at Shea Stadium, I mean, they're playing through AC30s. I mean, you couldn't hear that amp in the first row of the Mm -hmm. people. So it had the only thing that the people in the stands were hearing was mic'd instruments. So their amps actually didn't need to be that loud. They, their stage volume could have been very manageable. It would have been if you had just taken some amps and put them at their feet. Mm. And I just think it was a thing that hadn't occurred to them
0: yet. Wait, maybe maybe we had to, uh, you know, if John Vanderslice hadn't come along, we would have had to invent him. That's a man who
1: knows how to set up a room. We did invent John Vanderslice. <laughs> is that right? That, that, that responsibility is on us. Mm. We we bear that. We bear the cost. Heavy hangs the. Yeah, you know the thing is, me in a
0: room in his shows. and I used to go to a lot of his shows. I was just always so amazed with how it sounded. It wasn't how do I put this? It was just exquisite. It wasn't too loud. You could hear every single note. Like he really knew. Like this particular club. This is how to set it up for this room. And exactly. I, I wish that everybody had like a John slice in their life to like make. Make it sound right for the room, and I know that's different for every band. But I think he, given what he did, and the, like how how much he valued the, the exquisite, subtle sounds and what
1: he was making. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I do. Because yes, I've been on tour with him, and also on tour with a lot of other people. He almost bought your trailer, including, <laughs> including that's right, including people. No, who it was his. Tra- it was his it. trailer. Right? He, he. It was his trailer. <laughs> <laughs> he was just trying to weasel out of paying me the money that I was owed for driving oh, it down. Oh, we got to go back to that sometime. That was I think yeah. we talked about this, but oh, poor Sean. I'm not sure. Did we talk about it uh, uh, on oh, this Oh, no.
0: Show? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> we did because that's that's got to be up there with the North Face story. Oh, boy. I know that we've talked about it a thousand times. I just don't know.
1: I just didn't know that I we... was
0: ready to see a side of you that I had not seen. I was not ready to see that side of him that I had not seen.
1: Well sure and I mean I think at the time there was quite a I mean from the uh, from the audience which was what there were five of us there in this abandoned parking lot on Mike, the edge Michael, of
0: Michael Sean That's right Madeline, Eric Corson
1: you and Madeline was there too yeah and, Oh Madeline was there too Oh yeah and Vanderslice and I going back and forth like oh, well I guess I'm going to take this trailer and I'm going to just drive it into the like ocean like eyeball like to <laughs> eyeball and it was, <laughs> it was it was it was barely civil Well, and what's crazy is he promised me stuff to get out of that negotiation that he then reneged on later. But I'm not here to talk. No, we're not here to settle scores.
0: (laughs) Let's just say time travel is lonely. I think we can all agree
1: on time travel. You know, Vanderslice, that was the first time I ever saw a live show where someone was playing tracks. It was – Oh, yeah. He he made the decision – yeah, he had that stuff running through the PA, and I had never seen it before. And, you know, he was an, he was an early adopter. VanderSlice was always an early adopter, not just of technology and sound, but also you remember his drummer that did the Rising Sun cymbal changes. You saw those shows, right? I don't remember that. Where he hired a drummer from somewhere who was one of those – You've seen the YouTube video of the drummer that's in the wrong band? <laughs> no. Have you never? Have you never seen that? No. Uh, Google uh, drummer in the drum wrong in the band. The wrong band. Let's see. Oh, here we Let's... go. This drummer is at the wrong gig. All right. Yeah, drummer at the wrong gig. And Van hired a drummer at the wrong gig, style drummer, who, first of all, had oh. his. Drum- Oh, my God. I <laughs> Playing
0: sharp-dressed man? Yeah. Oh, Playing my sharp- God. This is fantastic.
1: <laughs> okay, sorry. This is so good. So Vanderslice had a guy like this who was a fantastic drummer. But, but he, um, well, he
0: wasn't like a jokey John Worcester throw it in for a little
1: bit of fun. This guy was full on like spin, was, spin the sticks kind of guy. This was his show. Uh, His drum kit was set up in the center of the stage, and Vanderslice was maybe sitting in a chair on the side of the (laughs) stage, maybe not even in the light. And he would do – so he's playing just big, big, big theatrical drum show. And he would change his cymbals mid-song. He would – he'd be playing –
0: his symbols, like, because he needed to, it wasn't like breaking a string. This was part of the bit.
1: Yeah, he he decided in his interpretation of the music that at a certain point in the song he needed a different symbol than he could. I, I've eat. never heard of. I've never heard of that before. Well, because you never will again, mm-hmm. because it's, it's it's crazy. But he would take his symbol off the cymbal stand. Now the song is going on, mm-hmm. and he oh he's continuing to play the drum. He would take his symbol off the symbol stand, unscrew it, take it off, and then hold it over his head in a in a gesture of the sun rises in the east, reaches its apex, and sets in the west. Like he would hold the symbol Almost up. Almost as if there was some kind of a movement or dance component. Absolutely a dance component. The sun would rise in the east, set in the west. This is all in time with the music. He's a great musician. And then another symbol would come out of the cymbal bag. It would rise in the west. Oh my goodness. And set in the east upon the cymbal stand where it would then be screwed down and played. All of this happening in the middle in the middle of wow. time travel is lonely. Uh, so very impressive work but also i mean the first time i saw john van der slice he had a chapman stick player in the band. oh really yes yes An yes. uh, oh. uh, early iteration of his band had a chapman stick player who leave, made leave no trend behind who made chapman stick face
0: oh no that's go- worse than guitar that's ten times worse
1: than guitar face have you ever googled chapman stick face <laughs> You use the internet so differently
0: than me. I'm telling you right now, go Google Chapman <laughs> Stickface. Tony, are, Tony Levin is the only person I can think of when I think of a Chapman Stick. I, 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 I,
1: okay, Chapman. And Tony Levin is a professional enough musician that he doesn't really make Chapman Stickface. Not like some of these. He could. He could. He could. He could do. He, he has enough bandwidth. He could play two Chapman Sticks and make Chapman Stickface. Oh, my not God. Oh, my gosh. But we do use the internet in different ways. You know, people often write write little tweets to you and me, even emails sometimes. Sure. Where they say, John Roderick does not know uh, about technology. Well. Or they speculate. They speculate whether or not I do know about technology and am pretending not to, or I just don't know about technology and don't know that I don't know. Oh, that's right. uh, One person brought up the Dunning-Kruger effect, which I've never heard of. Right, and what they don't realize is that I use the internet all the time to the look time. up Chat, uh, Chapman's Stick Face, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I doubt that they're using the internet that way. So who knows how to use? You just
0: sent me a music video that uh, over thirty million people have seen that I've never seen. Yeah, yeah, thirty that, that, million that's got, people. That's got more hits than David Pumpkins.
1: You know, drummer who's in a, the wrong band. Did you watch David Pumpkins? Have you seen that? It's
0: David Pumpkins. I oh. never
1: saw. I never <laughs> saw animals riding capybaras. So oh,
0: that's true. Yeah, you know, we, again, we got some nice feedback from people about the Capybaras. I think we helped a lot of people with that. Well, yeah, I think we do every episode. I think we we are definitely a harbinger for the future here. Just bringing up this whole issue. I mean, you've heard a little bit of, of uh, as they say, chatter about comfort animals, but I, I I think we have really elevated the level of discussion
1: about this. Well, sure it's a, it's easy to it's easy to say it's easy to sit with a t shirt cannon. Yeah, uh, about comfort animals, but when you realize comfort animals are the future of civilization. Mm. Now where are you? Now which internet are you on? Now which which internet am I on? Yeah, right. Yeah. Which that's a, that's a question we don't ask ourselves enough. No, which what which internet is my internet? There's different internets. Yeah, don't don't think that your internet is the same internet as somebody else's internet. Even somebody sitting in the same room as you. What about bad lip reading? You seen those? Too much. You've seen. You've seen uh, Santana jams. Oh
0: yeah. Okay, I've seen those. I've seen yeah, those. I've what seen about? That. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Oh, what about uh, uh, the the hamsters uh, eating tiny food? Have you seen that?
1: Hmm, I think I. You know, hamsters eating tiny food is just like spending a weekend with Amy Mann. Hmm. Uh, because...
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look at that burrito!
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so. <laughs> <laughs>